वेलकम टू सिंटॉक The Sintalkers around the table today discuss the metaness of algorithms. We'll think about algorithms more specifically and metaphorically using concepts from logic, computer science, operations research, semiotics and philosophy. How do we go from physical reality to symbolic representation systems? What is the difference if any between algorithms and equations? Are there finitely many kinds of problems and solutions? Are all hard problems somehow similar? Is there a robust link between complexity of problems and solutions? How do algorithms come to be? Can all problems be abstracted? Is thinking algorithmic? can there be challenges to the notion of algorithms in the long run or will algorithms be the new math we are pleased and privileged to have two sin talkers with us here today professor anuj dawar who's a professor at cambridge university and specializes in theoretical computer science and professor ashok mittal who's a retired professor from iit kanpur his interests lie in operations research operations management and intellectual property rights Anuj, why don't we set the ball rolling with you um, to understand what algorithms are, right. uh, very simply, and of course, it's it's asked and meant in a manner where you'd like to understand what the typical misconceptions are. Yeah, what yeah. an algorithm is not uh, right. at the same time. So why don't we start there, and we'll we'll see where it goes. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's um, interesting because the. I think well, it, the word algorithm is, is in some sense a flexible word, right? And it has uh, it, its cha- meaning shifts and and it's changed, uh, and uh, you know I deal with mathematical formalisms in my work, for mathematical formalization of algorithms, right? But I think that's only one small aspect, and uh, it's well, we maybe we can get into that later. I, I would say that algorithm itself is not ma- a mathematically well-defined notion, but it's now... It's not mathematically. It's not, I was going to say it's not, yes. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think it's the, the notion of an algorithm is... Um, uh, the meaning has shifted over time and it's now becoming much more... It's escaped the, shall we say, rarefied academic world and entering... more popular culture with uh, you know people think of it as something mysterious which goes on behind some say the google search engine or various right. other things and uh i know you know uh 10 years ago mm-hmm. when my official title is professor of logic and algorithms and you know say relatives or friends who don't know the subject would say well what does that, what does that word mean and now we've shifted to to the situation where uh to them knowing exactly what you do well no i was going to say from uh to the situation where my daughter who's in primary school comes up and says daddy do you know what an algorithm is <laughs> <laughs> so, so 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 it has you know the the word the That's word a good journey yeah the word has entered the uh, popular, the popular imagination and with that its meaning has shifted as well mm-hmm. and you know it's the, the the meaning has shifted so but uh, as you can see i have a very dear question which was what is an algorithm and what is it not and to me but has the meaning shifted and changed or transformed within theoretical computer science as well or? well yes yes i think i think parameters are shifting precisely because as i said it is not actually a mathematically well defined concept mm-hmm. so uh, to to chart the journey somewhat the word algorithm i mean of course comes from uh 
medieval times, mm-hmm. right? From the, it's a corruption of the name of uh, Muhammad bin Musa al-Khwarizmi, mm. whose work popularized in Europe uh, the uh, numeral system, which he and his work called the Indian system, which the Europeans came to call the Arabic system because they learned of it through his work. Sure. Um, and the, the so, so the word described this mechanical procedure of addition and multiplication, which was made so easy by representing numbers in these. So a system in, of rules. Well, well, yes, but more importantly, so calculation with Roman numerals or with abacus was difficult. Right. Uh, once represented in this de- decimal notation, it became easy once you kn- know the rules. That came to be known as the algorithmic method. And then in That's the interesting. in the 20th mm. century, this shift applies where we start thinking of algorithm as any procedure following rules. Mm. And um, when you look at, say, uh, Alan Turing's work formalizing the notion, I wouldn't say of algorithm, but this is a distinction I wanted to make, formalizing the notion of algorithmic computability, of what can be computed algorithmically, he, in his paper, he's really trying to formalize the idea of somebody sitting with paper and pencil, doing a calculation like addition or multiplication, where you only look at one symbol at a time and you apply some mechanical rule and and carry out a calculation. He's formalizing formalizing the idea of a person with paper and pencil carrying out a calculation, and that is the idea of algorithm, because he's trying to answer questions of what can or cannot be done algorithmically. Now, uh, so, so you mean computability? That's right. Sure. So, so he's trying to answer specifically what show that certain things cannot be done sure. by by such a mechanical procedure. And then the meaning shifts again once we essentially have machines which can implement algorithms mm-hmm. on a very large scale mm-hmm. with the arrival of digital computers. Mm-hmm. And so we think of anything that such a machine can do as an algorithm. Mm-hmm. Um which is conceptually a different thing from a person sitting down with a paper and pencil. I mean, just... Sure. uh, And um, with that... What exactly is the distinction? Well, the distinction in the the sense... Beyond the usual distinction of uh, extent of complexity or rigor or number of steps involved or computation time or things of that sort. Right. Well, I think the distinction is uh, really that... Computation embodied in a digital electronic computer is a very particular kind of execution of an algorithm. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, obviously there are distinctions, whether there are important distinctions, you know, between that and processes that go on in the human brain. So this is, what I want to say is that Turing formalized, the, the thing that is mathematically formalized in Turing's work is the notion of what is algorithmically computable. That's not the same thing as formalizing what is an algorithm. Right. Right? So so are you he, suggesting that there might be algorithms which are not programmable? No, I'm saying ra- ra- rather this, that um, people have come up with many different formalizations of you know algorithms, programming languages, and so on, which then were, are shown to be do the same thing as what a Turing machine can do. Mm-hmm. Therefore, the notion of what is algorithmically computable is fairly robust. Sure. But a Turing machine is a very particular thing which can look at one symbol at a time, do one thing at a time, etc. Not every algorithm is like that. Sure. But, but what we understand is that whatever any algorithm can do can also be simulated to some extent by a Turing machine. Sure. That doesn't mean that every algorithm is a Turing machine. That's interesting. Yeah. Right? That's the yeah. distinction I'm trying to make. Yeah. So, you know, people ask, for instance, is the human mind a computer? Mm-hmm. And... There is a sort of facetious answer, of course not. It doesn't have a keyboard and a monitor or something like this, you see. But mm-hmm. that's, that's because obviously that's not the question what people mean. So to make sense of the question, you have to ask, well, what does it mean to be a computer or a computational device? What does that even mean? Mm. Right? Mm. What makes it something? And we understand, I mean, one answer, but this is, this is not a definitive answer, is that it's some kind of symbolic manipulation that is a device which manipulates physical symbols and these physical symbols are themselves carriers of information about something else why do you call them physical symbols well because every sim everything well i'm i guess i'm starting from a standpoint where the, everything is material you know for for a computation to be real it has to be physically embodied in some sense sure 
whether the physical symbol is a scribble on a tape or a you know electronic uh, um, transistor or anything. The point is, it has to have something which has physical effect, which can be detected. And the the device detecting that interprets that to be a symbol that is it represents meaning in some way about mm. something else. I think those are the essentials of what we understand, you know, symbolic manipulation, symbol systems, uh, which which make it computation rather mm. than just other some other physical process. Uh, and you know, it might even be. Strands of DNA which replicate themselves is an entirely natural process. Right. These are, but these molecules of uh, of DNA, they are carriers of information yeah. about something else because they describe an entire organism within them. Yeah. So in that sense, they're symbols. Yeah. And they're physical. Yeah. And therefore, we can understand that process as a process of computation as well. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's interesting. I think there are lots of interesting ideas there, yes. which we'll unpack and unbundle as we go along. Um, Ashok, over to you. What is an algorithm for you and in what manner um, is is your take on it distinct or similar to what uh, Anuj has just told us? Well, I'll say more or less similar to what he is stating, except that I look at it more like a process, a set of instructions which are executed on a specified input and results in a specific output. The instructions are unambiguous. Unambiguous means given input. The output would be the same every time? It will be same all the time. Mm. So there is either that or for it will not find itself in a situation where it doesn't know where to go. Okay. So there is a definite... So it won't halt? Well, halt is the output. That's fine. Mm -hmm. That's not an ambiguity. It may not recognize this... For example, the input, it may simply say this is not the right input, it comes to a halt. That's that's okay. Sure. Uh, ambiguity implies that when it's operating on the input, mm-hmm. it doesn't know what to do next. Mm-hmm. Or, or or perhaps maybe you could say it's unambiguous in the sense that the one executing it has no discretion. Yes, precisely. There is no discretion. There is a definitive... Yes, you're right. Because maybe it will result in a hard. What does not have discretion? The the the, the, the thing that's executing the algorithm that is sure. performing the algorithm, the sure. algorithm completely determines what it does. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, the important point is that it works on a well-defined input. Mm-hmm. Well-defined input means again, the specification of input is unambiguous. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, for uh, a particular algorithm or a set of instructions to work, the input has to have certain characteristics. Okay. Such as? A, de- a description. Okay. See, uh, I look at it from a mechanical engineering point of view. To me, a process, a mechanical process, is an algorithm. Okay. It may take a rod of a specified size. Mm-hmm. An important issue is the specified size, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And do operation one, operation two, operation three, operation four on the rod and will result in a particular specification of the new product. Okay. Now, when I say that input is specified, what it means is the dimensions of the rod is specified, the material of the rod is specified. Right. Okay, there's no unambiguity. So it is not that the same algorithm will work on steel or will will also work on copper. Okay. If that specification is not there, it will not result into a consistent outcome. Okay. It's definitive. It is not open. That means size of the input also have to be have uh, a, a limited. But how unambiguous is that? I mean, there would be some tolerance to, let's go back to this example, I mean, steel and okay. some alloys which are okay. around there would work. Now, it's the issue of measurements. Right. Now, what are measurements? Measurement tries to give you a, a some kind of yardstick by which you can say whether it is acceptable or it's not acceptable. Right. Okay. Right. Comparisons are the easiest measurements to say, yes right. or no. So when we say it is unambiguous, it is in terms of what is permitted within 
what that particular process will not be able to differentiate. So if I have a tool which has certain quality in terms of cutting, mm -hmm. stability in terms of cutting, mm -hmm. then it may not differentiate between certain dimensions. Okay, because the size of the tool may be such the dimension lower than that actually are not measured by the tool. Sure, sure. One gets that. So, so my specifications have to be such that given that the input has to be such that is commensurate with the ability of the instruction set to recognize the input. Sure. Okay. Sure. So if there is ambiguity in that, then there is an issue. Sure. Okay. Sure. Sure. So this sure. Sure. So how much can you generalize the notion of an algorithm? What is not an algorithm for you? Okay. First thing is where the inputs are not well structured or well defined. Okay. Okay. They are they, they cannot be bounded in some sense. Okay. Because any process to operate there has to be in a finite time there has to be an input which is also finite size. Otherwise, reading the input itself or checking the input itself that. Uh, so you mean number of inputs or types of inputs? Uh, specifications of the input. Okay. End of the day, you have to specify, what, right? Now, specification may be numeric, specifications may be non-numeric. Sure. They may be sensed, they can be sensed, they can be read, whatever it is. But the specifications have to be finite in number. Mm -hmm. okay. Second thing is, instances where you are not in position to specify. As in, in this specific context, I asked you whether it would be the number number of inputs or types of inputs. That was my question to you before uh, we went there. See, as far as input is concerned, to me, the, there is no issue of input uh, number or types. So can there be an algorithm that deals with infinitely many inputs? Uh, I don't think so. So I, so I think um, an important point raised by this example of the lengths of rods and so sure. on, is, I mean, I, I said that, uh, you know, algorithms operate on symbols, which are physical things. Right. Now, physical quantities vary continuously. Mm -hmm. right? The length of a rod is a continuous variable. Right. The assumption is an algorithm is, in some sense, discrete. Right. And so you assume some kind of discretization of input. That right. is, you only make some discrete set, or some finite set, if you will. So what's the equivalent of, of the symbol in this example? So, so, so the length of the rod, once you discretize it and say it can be one of these five or ten different things, that becomes a symbol. That becomes discrete. But to be a symbol, to me, it has to be one other thing. It has to be about something else. Mm -hmm. Right? So a mechanical process, which is just about cutting rods, mm -hmm. to me, does not become, I mean, it may well be algorithmic, but it doesn't become a computation. Yeah. I mean, a computation has to be, you, you see, it's a, it's a calculation carried out. That's interesting. But it carries information about something else. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. It has to be, a, these symbols have to carry information. Mm -hmm. uh, and that information is not about the physical thing that the symbol itself is. Mm -hmm. It is about something else in the universe. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. so that, that, that to me is the essence of computation. But the word al algorithm, I think, stretches beyond that. Things can be algorithmic without being computational. Yes, that is the point. That when we are talking about algorithms with respect to computability, and algorithms as per se, it implies there are algorithms which are not computable, okay, or which are not within the ambit of computations. Okay, now it is true that uh, algorithms has become popular due to the uh, their uh, importance in computability. Okay as a mechanism for computability. But essentially, these are processes. Okay. And there is very likely that one may come out with the uh, different kind of paradigms, algorithm paradigms, for different kind of problem situations, okay. which, as I said, broadly should have a specified, a specific input, a set of unambiguous, non-discriminatory instructions and a set of specified outputs so very generally is there is there is there a certain finiteness to the number of algorithms and let's maybe stick to the computational realm are there a certain number of algorithms which can be uh, reduced to each other and they would be um, well um, not so there is 
it's not so much a finiteness as what we we would say the accountability, right? In a sense, sure. So that um, they because algorithms themselves are essentially represented symbolically. We write them out as instructions in some symbolic language, and to be followed by some um, device or some whatever implement what, thing, even a person that implements the algorithm. They have to be finite in length, the description. So I think one of the key things I, I should say is that typically an algorithm is a finite description mm-hmm. of potentially many, of infinitely many different processes. Mm-hmm. So let's go Such back. Such as what? Let's go back to the prototypical example, the mm-hmm. algorithm for multiplying two numbers. Okay. It's a prototypical because it's what gives rise to the name algorithm. Now, I can describe to you the procedure for multiplying two numbers, mm-hmm. that Description of the procedure is a finite thing, mm-hmm. but there are infinitely many different numbers I can give you to sure. multiply, sure. and the same algorithm will work. Sure, that's what I mean by it's a finite description, finite description of a procedure, which works on infinitely many different possible inputs. Sure, but extending that now, now, now how many different algorithms there are was which was your question? No, so my question sure. in this context would be that is the algorithm for multiplication yes. uh, potentially reducible to algorithm for summation? Right. And, I, and I, in well, that sense... Um, so so what does it mean by reducible? It's not the same algorithm. Mm-hmm. And one can make use of another. So, of mm-hmm. course, an algorithm can make use of, of another. And this is, you know, what in computer science we, we call subroutines. It's a sort of standard uh, thing to do. But uh, that, that doesn't make one algorithm the same as the other. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course, when we say we are writing down algorithms in some fixed language, what we usually assume is there is some fixed finite set of instructions mm-hmm. from which we build up all algorithms. Mm-hmm. Again, there's an infinite richness of algorithms, mm-hmm. but they're all using some finite instruction set. Okay. And that is a, that's an essential idea, of course, in the, then building computers as well. Computers come with a finite instruction set, which allow you to programming program them and we think of computers as in some sense infinitely reconfigurable machines because you can through the process of programming get them to do infinitely many different things so what are the i mean why don't we come at it from the side of examples yes sure what are the most popular algorithms given the world we live right. in given the nature of problems we're looking to solve given the nature of applications we're looking to do um, yeah. And if we were to like for a second and bear with me, we would think were mm. to think of it in terms of analogies and primes and composites in, on the number mm. set. Um, mm. So, are there a bunch of algorithms which are the equivalent of prime numbers? Which, which, uh, so I mean, are there seventeen algorithms that are essentially? Yeah. No, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I don't think there are. One can enumerate a set. There are. Okay, we, you know, in in computer science, we teach students certain algorithmic techniques mm-hmm. or things that they go by the names of sort of uh, divide and conquer or dynamic programming or things like that. Mm-hmm. These are techniques for, for devi- devising algorithms. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call them just algorithms in themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think the variety of algorithms is is vast. Okay. So do algorithms have an ontology? Are they, are they, do they have a certain kind of reality? Do you know what I mean? Um... Yes, or is it a method or a process of configuring something? Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I feel on slippery ground here because sure. th- this is, I think, we're now back to what I was saying at the beginning about the shifting meaning of the word, right, 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 and I think it's about the meaning of the word rather than the 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 the, the, the concept of, of itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I've had uh, this debate with people about you know whether. Okay, so an algorithm, I, I talked about discretization of the inputs, right? Mm-hmm. Does the, do the steps of the performance of the algorithm mm-hmm. themselves have to be discrete? This is a matter of some debate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it, for example, it's, That's a, very interesting. it's a standard um, um, analogy, if you will, that people make when trying to explain the notion of algorithm, let's say, to a general public, let's say a recipe for cooking is an algorithm. Sure. And I have a colleague who strongly disputes this. He said a recipe is not an algorithm mm-hmm. precisely because it doesn't have discrete steps. It says put something in the oven for 20 to 25 minutes. That's not a discrete, it's a continuous period of time, mm. right? <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, and that lack of discretization, 
he's, he argues, means that this is not an algorithm, okay? That an algorithm has to have discrete steps. And that is p- part of the essence of an algorithm. This is debatable. Uh, I say it's debatable again yeah. because the, 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 the meaning of the word shifts, right? Yeah, again, it is the issue of in which reference framework you are looking at it. And the point remains that end of the day, the life is analogous. It is not discrete. Yeah. Okay. Uh, there is, uh, and the partitions, if you create, those are partitions which you have created. They are yeah. not real. Uh, whether it's inputs or it is outputs or even processes, they are continuous in nature. But again, going back to, because we are talking about computability and you are talking about a specific model of computability, which is based on discretization. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. The whole genesis of uh, comp- uh, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, digital computing is uh, digitalization. Mm-hmm. Okay, one has to talk about uh, uh, algorithms which are digital, digitalizable. Let me put it this way. The inputs which are digitalizable. Sure. And hence, you need this uh, uh, issue of uh, making sure that uh, it's discrete. Uh, but that may be the limitation also in terms of solving real-time problems. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the shop flow. You know, any, for anything. Mm-hmm. Okay? Because end of the day, as I said, a line is a line. You can't discretize a line. Right? Yep. Now, whatever discretization you do, it is subjective in nature. Yeah. It will, it's an approximation. It, it, will, it will eliminate certain amount of information. It will keep certain amount of information. Because any, uh, any partitioning of any kind some information is going to be lost. So it just turns out because you have a model of computing which requires that, it becomes inevitable to do that. But going back to the uh, mechanical process, Mm -hmm. the process of cutting is a continuous process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now I can describe it in steps. I can say cut 0.1 centimeter. At once. at, at one at go. Once, yeah. But it's not done in one go. Yeah. It has a time dimensionality. Right? Yeah. Actually, even computer, when uh, you have zero ones, essentially the physical process takes time. Yeah. It may yeah. be nanosecond or whatever it is. It's a real-time process. Yeah. Okay, where magnetization, demagnetization may take place or anything else may happen. Yeah. Right? So, so the point remains that when we talk about algorithms which are computable, especially, quote-unquote, within the frame of digital computing. Mm-hmm. There can be analogous computing. There used to be analog computers. Analog computing, yeah. Okay, I'll come back to that. Sure. End of the day, possibly, only way to solve real-life problems is going to be analogous computing. <laughs> okay. we'll get which back may be to of that. totally different kind than the present say, structure of computers, which is digital okay, in nature. Okay. And that is going to be a very, very important issue. That's interesting. Why don't we travel to the shop floor, uh, Ashok? And, you know, these are very rich industrial situations where um, countably many steps need to be undertaken. Um, One is solving for productivity, one is solving for time, one is solving for a whole range of other factors. Now, if a car has to be manufactured and a bunch of sub-assemblies have to come together and a whole bunch of steps have to happen, it's... Are the manners and ways of doing it very many? Or over time, one has come to a few um, specific ways of doing it, a few algorithms that does it the best? Okay, let me again... See, when we talk about manner of doing it, Mm -hmm. by and large, for everything, there are infinitely many ways of doing things. But solving for certain outcomes, not solving for... Even solving... For example, if I had to go from here to that particular point, there are infinitely many paths which I can take. Sure, but if, okay. we, were, if we were to put constraints of time... Now, taken, yeah. the issue is, are we talking about efficiency? Mm-hmm. Effectiveness implies that I'm able to reach my goal, right? Yeah. Now, there are infinitely many ways of doing it, yeah. invariably. Yeah. All of them not equally efficient. Yeah. Now, definition of efficiency is, again, a subjective definition. Generally, in, uh, when we are talking about shop floors, we are talking about efficiency with respect to certain resources. Yeah. Okay. Manpower, machine times, cut tool cutting times, uh, cost, whatever it is. Yeah. And then what we are talking about, 
what is the process which provide the most efficient way of doing the things or reaching the goal okay in that sense yes there is always a unique or maybe there are multiple path which are of same efficiency rather is there a solution to that no solution means that yes there is always a solution solution to a problem there is always a solution issue is whether you are able to get that solution okay okay there is always a best so path. what what would a problem statement on a shop floor be problem statement on a shop floor be find the most efficient way of doing what you are doing okay now output to it <laughs> output to it is going to be a process which among all known processes possibly provide the best solution no i think the question is how would you know that that's the solution how would you know that that's the theoretical solution how do you know that if you if it's taking you 23 minutes okay, to assemble me, a car let, let me let me put you it can't other better way. let me put it the other way. in real life situations actually you do not even know what is the problem that's fine which is why we are in a very specific so, so situation once once you don't know what is the problem right actual problem which you are actually dealing with maybe very different the problem which you describe mm-hmm. that itself is a is a is a major issue when i say most efficient what is efficient mm-hmm. right when i define efficient efficiency it is my subjective judgment of what is efficiency that's fine sure right? i think the question is very specific here the question is that if this if a car needs to be made and it takes 23 minutes let's say to make this car how do i know that i can't better it how do i know that i should better it i don't it? there is no way to know it this is precisely what i'm saying would you agree to that well i i i would say this and do you know what i mean yeah no i think i i, I think i understand so 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 let me put it this way you have a particular process you're trying to optimize yes you have an algorithm which computes a solution and yes. presents you a solution how do you know it's the optimal solution is what yes. this is a question of, i would say of the correctness of the algorithm mm-hmm. so the the algorithm is one algorithm which given any schedule of jobs to be performed comes out with an optimal timetable let's say yeah you you once you once you are convinced and once you can prove this is a mathematical question that the algorithm is correct then you don't need to you verify don't question the, the answer you, you don't, don't question, question the, the answer solution. exactly yes. right. and the the thing is the same algorithm works for infinitely many instances Absolutely. so you don't have to in each case prove that the output is the optimal solution to that particular instance if you have an algorithm which you believe which you are convinced which you have proved does find optimal solutions this is precisely the point which i am making that there is no way for me to know that a car cannot be made in 22.5 minutes because i do not know all possible processes which may exist in future or even now right within the realm of what i know yeah i can say that this particular set of instructions which result in 23 minutes is the best set of instructions yeah yeah okay yeah funny point yes so of course the the issue is yes in that sense i can say it is optimal mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. is it truly optimal no mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. second mm-hmm. thing is when i am talking about that 23 minutes take issue is what is 23 minutes mm-hmm. who has decided that i should actually worry about time okay maybe i have i have identified a process the best process which achieve right this particular efficiency of 23 minutes right within the domain of my knowledge set the the processes which i know i think the question more generally is that in a in a general sense is there a way and manner in which combinatorial optimization problems are fun okay. or interesting mm-hmm. okay so let me put that answer so what happens is this that we try to imbibe reality by a symbolic formalism okay, okay. now this is what operation research is all about mm-hmm. that it looks at the decision processes or decision mechanisms mm-hmm. and try to provide a structure which is amenable to mathematical manipulation mm-hmm. okay, i am using word specifically manipulation what sure. it means is it's amenable to a mathematical logic or sure. a computational logic or mathematical algebra sure now when we are doing it we are abstracting out of the reality mm-hmm. something which can be formalized first right okay right 
there's and that's there is how a the problem description yep and that itself is the biggest decision process yes yeah because what is that obstacle does it really uh, is a copy of the reality is far away from the reality right yeah yeah no, once absolutely. i have abstracted it out assuming i have method of abstraction mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay there mm-hmm. are various methods of abstraction mm-hmm. okay there can be a physical simulation for example i can set up a plant mm-hmm. okay that's also a process of abstraction because again a, a, a pseudo plant is not a plant right okay. right right what are called physical simulations right or i may be having a symbolic representation yeah right? symbolic representation generally are Uh, logical representation or mathematical representations yep. right once i have structured so called my problem into a mathematical structure mm-hmm. then what i seek is a optimal or the best solution mm-hmm. i should not even use the word optimal once it is a mathematical structure i'm seeking a solution to the mathematical the solution structure. the okay. solution to okay. the to that yeah so, yeah because there is no issue of optimality when the computing comes because yes. if there is a solution Okay, it's a computable solution. Yeah. Okay, that's the only solution actually. Yeah. So what I am seeking is the solution to a mathematical problem. Yeah. Okay? For example, a system of equation I have, and I am trying to find out is there is solution to the system of equation, and if so, what is the solution? Do all problems have solutions? No. Not How do you know which problems don't have solutions? Well, in broad sense, if you formulate a real life problem, it should have a solution. If it is a real life problem, there has to be solution. Do so, all real life problems in this context? So we are okay, meaning it in a very come, special sense. So what may happen is that sometimes when you are constructing abstractions, mm-hmm. you may construct incorrect abstractions, such as you may put constant which are actually not real constant, although you think they are constant, and they may result into no solution being found. Sure. You may say, "I want green. I also want red." Sure. Okay. Sure. Now you can't have both green and red. Sure. Okay. Assuming only one color has to be selected. Sure. That's a problem of the modeler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. End of the day, if person is going to buy a shirt. Okay. He is going to buy a shirt. Yeah. <laughs> and he will have preferred color. Yeah. Red or green. Yeah. So, but you have imposed a constraint without understanding that. So, what happens that for real life problems, if there is no solution, generally issue with respect to the, uh, with respect to the. to the process itself to the abstract abstract to the modeling modeling in mathematical setups okay i can have problems for which i do not have a solution okay mm-hmm. it does not imply there is no solution you do not have a solution because if there is a problem which does not have a solution it is not a problem <laughs> right well. so issue remains that i may Pose. I may st- make a statement. I may for for a long time. For example, four color conjecture was there. Uh, four color theorem. Are, yeah. Whether you can sure. color a map with four colors so that no two colors are next to each other. Next to each other in a map. Now one did not know whether it is true or false. Okay. The conjecture got sorted out. It may not have got sorted out. It still does not mean there is no solution, right? Because we don't know when somebody will sort it out. Why don't we go to you, Anu Jandras? Yeah. What is a hard problem for you as a theoretical computer scientist? Right. Well, okay. How do you know what's hard? Sure. So, um, so in the context of theoretical computer science, the word problem has a very specific meaning, which okay? is, uh, namely, it is exactly the sort of thing one uses an algorithm to solve. Right? No, I mean there may not be an algorithm to solve it, but but it's circular, sense, isn't it? No, 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 no. It's. Um, in the sense that uh it is something with a discrete space a symbolic input and a given output and some function that maps the inputs to the outputs that 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 defines a problem now the question is is there an algorithm for um solving the problem in this sense so 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 the term problem has a technical sense and we know there are things which do do not admit algorithmic solution this was established already uh, in the 1930s by Alan Turing Mm-hmm. And it's specifically, uh, I mean, in some sense, we know this on very Is general. Is that principle. surprising, or it's not surprising it's, anymore? No, it's it's not surprising in the sense that because uh, once you note that algorithms are, as I said, they're countably many, which 
may sound like a lot, but it, it it's it, still it, not infinite. It, no, no, countably is infinite, but it's not uncountable. There are there are levels countably of infinity. Many. Sure. Yes. Sure. Uh, but the number of problems is uncountable, and therefore there are more problems than there are algorithms. This is just you know, a, a, as it were, an arithmetic fact which tells us there are problems which are um, unsolvable algorithmically. The insight of Alan Turing was he showed some specific problems we would really like to solve, which are unsolvable. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, he he used it to uh, show, I mean, his original one was on the unsolvability of what was called the Entscheidungs problem. This was posed by the mathematician David Hilbert, sure. who essentially said in a formalized system of mathematics, given any mathematical proposition you write down, is there an algorithmic way of deciding whether that proposition is true or false? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Turing showed that's impossible. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the most, in, in, in other words, the most abstract way, formalism of mathematics itself is not algorithmically solvable. Right? Yeah. We can't yeah. look at a mathematical proposition and by an algorithmic process decide whether it is true or false. Yeah. Um, and then... The, the other interesting one Turing showed on the way is the halting problem, yeah. which these days we understand in terms of computer programs, that is given a computer program or a description of an algorithm itself, mm -hmm. can you decide by looking at it mm -hmm. whether it will eventually, as a process, halt or not? That is, you can halt run it. Halt as in solve? Yeah, ultimately end and say we have found a solution because it may just run forever and never come up with a solution. So we are getting into the dimension of P and P. Yeah. Not no. quite, not okay. quite. Okay, okay. Uh, uh, so th this is a question. This is a distinction between just the unsolvable and the solvable. Okay. The PNP distinction is a question of among the solvable problems. You know how uh, how efficiently you can solve them. Sure. So, but, but there's a there's a distinction between the solvable and the uh, on the unsolvable, and there are genuine the, the kinds of mathematical problems one would like to solve which are unsolvable. Uh, and uh, so I, I mean I'm I'm not sure I sort of agree with the sentiment that any real life problem must have a solution. I think... Otherwise, it's not a problem. <laughs> right. <laughs> if it doesn't have a solution, where is the problem? <laughs> so, point is that problem exists, has to have a solution, otherwise, it's, it's a nature. How do you, how do you, how do you decide what's a problem? That's precisely what I'm trying to say, that, see, okay, the way I'm I look at it... you mean okay, that... In, in <laughs> when I look at it, the way I decide the problem is the following. And I'm talking about in terms of decision processes. You have goal to attain. Okay. Yeah. And you want to know how to attain that goal. Yeah. That is the problem. Okay. Now, if goal is unattainable, yeah, it's not a problem. What you have done is you have proposed something. It's like asking whether there is a god or not, right? That's not a problem. Okay. So issue is this that when I'm talking about how do you know that the goal is unattainable? That is a subjective judgment. End of the day, a problem. Identification is very subjective in nature. What I call so a what problem... What if I, in, in the example we were discussing a while ago, the CEO of a car company says that you have to make this car in 20 minutes. Yes. So I will ask him to make it. <laughs> <laughs> the point remains that if somebody is setting up goals which are unattainable, for example, you no, ask, as a coach, you ask an athlete to do 100 meter in 5 seconds. Sure. Okay. Sure. I think... Uh, there are no solutions to that particular problem, but it's not a problem because you are asking something which is not doable. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so where sure. will the, where will a solution exist? So when I am saying a problem, what I mean is that problem is something which have a solution. If it does not have a solution, mm -hmm. okay, actually it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. It may look like a problem to me, to you, mm -hmm. okay, but end of the day, where are you going to be? Sure. I think we've, we've been on this point for a while. What does, I mean, can 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 algorithms be approximate? Right. So, so again, there's a very technical sense in which they can be. So mm -hmm. um, there are, for, for instance, in, in the realm of combinatorial optimization, which you brought up uh, yes. a moment ago. Now, there are pro optimization problems where, I mean, there are algorithmically solvable, and you brought up the question of P versus NP. There are algorithmically solvable one, mm -hmm. but all the algorithms we know are very inefficient in the sense that even on the reasonable size input that we would like to run, I mean, for instance, you want to come up with an optimal schedule of airlines for, of flights for an airline which has 
100 planes, you know, traveling between 30 different airports. Sure. You want to come up with some kind of optimal timetable. Sure. This is not really um, doable by a computer in any reasonable amount of time. It's an algorithmic problem. It is solvable in principle in the sense I can give you an algorithm which is guaranteed to give you the correct answer, but you run it on a supercomputer and it still might take a thousand years, which means in practice it's of no use for actually constructing a timetable. So what we and, said, and in that case, we settle for an algorithm which is approximate in the sense that it is not guaranteed to give you the optimal solution, but it is guaranteed to run fast and to give you a solution which is approximately optimal. That is, let's say... It with, wouldn't be that with, far from the right answer. Within 50%, you know, so, so so you may have, your cost over on over the optimal will not be more than 50%. That's the sense in which it's approximate. Yeah, in fact, I'll add it. Right. And do you know how approximate it would be? Well, so this is, yes. So, so again, for certain problems, we have algorithms with guaranteed performance levels. That is, we can prove that the, whatever solution it finds will be within some proportion of the optimal solution. There are other problems for which we don't ha have even approximate algorithms. That is, we don't have efficient approximate algorithms. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, and th then you have sometimes what, what you call heuristics, which is you rely on, the, the algorithm relies on certain what we might call rules of thumbs, things which are not necessarily mathematically soundly proved. And where so, do so these come from? Well, they just come from, you know, well... Experience of experience, managers? Exactly, and things like that. And they get incorporated into the algorithm. Mm -hmm. And then the answer is not guaranteed, it's, mm -hmm. right? It is not something you know for certain is mm -hmm. going to be optimal or even approximately optimal. It's just that we experience shows that in most practical cases, this particular algorithm gives you something that is reasonable. Okay. In that sense... Uh, so in this, in this example of uh, scheduling yes. flights, is this a hard problem? It is a hard problem. This is an instance of what we would call an NP-hard problem uh, in, in, in that P versus NP. Well, I say that. Of course, one has to first formalize the problem mathematically, and then and there's a certain, uh, as, uh, as Ashok was saying, it is a certain mathematical abstraction of this problem that one shows is NP-hard. In fact, the simplest approximation of the uh, simplest, simplest approximation of the problem possibly is NP-hard. That means that you kind of keep your goal and uh, very, very low. Uh, you come out with the constraints which are well structured and well defined and live with it. Mm -hmm. Forget about a lot of real-life constraints. Mm -hmm. uh, that problem itself is NP-hard. What does okay. that mean? Like, uh, okay, what it means is this, that, that you will, if you were to do it with a fewer number of planes and just four airports, no, 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 number you of planes is not the issue. Sense. No, no, not in that sense. See, what happens is this, when we are talking about crucial dealing problem, and sure. uh, allocation. Sure. First thing is again, what are my goals? Efficiency, right? Yeah. Now, how do I define the efficiency? Sure. Now, there are multiple ways, uh, there are multiple objectives which I can have. Sure. Suppose I select only one of them. Right. I forget about others. I say, okay, my objective is only uh, to minimize the total number so of So even crews. if you had a single objective problem, it simplest, is still NP-hard. So, Multi-objective problem will Simplest formalism. Sure. Similarly, there are a lot of constraints which you may have. Mm. Okay, in terms of time. You say, no, forget about it. I'll handle them as they come. But only constant I'm going to put that no crew should be working more than X number of hours, no sure. plane should be loaded. So sure, on. Sure, sure, sure. I structure the problem. And so even a basic version of the problem is Very, very simple NPR. version of the problem, a real-life abstraction, which is not very close to the real life. Is that surprising for you? Uh, that it's like, are, are there problems which on the surface seem okay. straightforward but I'll, are I'll, NP-hard? I'll tell you. I'll tell you one example of that. It's called knapsack problem. It's very easy to describe. Sorry, which problem? Knapsack problem. Okay. Okay. Uh, the problem is, uh, the genesis of problem is that a child goes to a toy shop mm -hmm. and his father has permitted him to buy shops. Mm -hmm. But what he has told him that... Uh, you have limited budget, okay. Now there are thousands of toys which are there, each have a price, okay. And also has told that whatever you buy, you have to bring in the knapsack which you are carrying with you. Sure. Okay, so there is a volume restriction sure. or weight restriction. Sure. The guy cannot lift more than 5 kg, so total weight should not exceed 5 kg. Sure. Each toy has a weight, it has a price. Sure. Child has to select out of thousands of these toys, a set of toys so that he can carry it with him 
within the budget which is prescribed. Right. Okay. Now this is a very simple problem. But it's this it's is the hard. genesis of all integer programming <laughs> problems. Sure. Okay, zero is called zero one integer programming problem. Sure. It has only one constant. Sure. Very simple objective function. All sure. variables are zero one. Sure. If there are n variables, you either have also, it or don't have it. You either take it or don't take it. We also know that possible number of solution are two raised to the power n. So Correct. if there are thousand toys, Correct. possible number of combination are two. Two per thousand power minus one. One thousand. Yeah. Physically, I can verify two raised to power one thousand. So the solution exists. Optimal solution exists. Of course, two into one thousand is a very large number to compute. Right. So, so this is a very simple problem. Mm. Mm. This problem is NP hard, as of now. It's been set. But it's hard because of the combinatorial size. So, so the point is this, that when when one talks about NP hardness, what, what you're saying is you, you don't talk about a particular instance of the problem with 1,000 toys. What it means is that as the instances grow... The complexity be, 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 is exponential or that's right. non-linear. Well, it, 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 it's not just non-linear. Exponential is correct. Mm. So, in, in that... Because the whole notion, as I said before, an algorithm is a single finite procedure which works on infinitely many inputs. Right. So, one measures its complexity about how the resource required grows as the input size grows. This would in a way be the distinction between P and P. That's right. It? That's right. right. So, right. so, the point is that... Uh, Problems in P are ones where this growth is polynomial. Right. And in the example we have here, the, the point is that the number of potential solutions, as, as you said, is two, two raised to a thousand. The point is as the number of uh, right. toys grows, it right. grows exponentially. Right. What, what, what the crucial question is, do we really need to search through this whole exponential space to find the optimal one? Or is there a way of homing in onto an optimal solution? What's the answer? Well, the answer is that at the moment, we don't know. We don't know. <laughs> it's an NP-hard problem. And so the best algorithms we ha have are exponential. They're essentially searching through the whole space. Are there other ways but of solving? But we have never proved. Well, we don't know that for this instance. And, and the, 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 essentially, the NP-hard problems are the ones for which there is no better way. But, but there are others, for example. You could have a system of linear equations. Um, or linear inequalities. Again, the number of potential solutions... The, the search space grows exponentially, but we have good methods of solving equations by elimination of variables and so on, which mm -hmm. converge on the the, the, the solution mm -hmm. very quickly mm -hmm. without searching through the whole exponential space. Those are the problems that turn out to be in P. That's very yes. interesting. Is it instructive to think about the distinction between equations and algorithms? Are they different in any manner that might be instructive? Uh, to me, they are different things. They are different mm -hmm. things in the, in, in the following sense. So an equation is asserting equality between certain mathematical variables. So say, mm -hmm. saying certain things. Now, you can ask about methods for solving an equation. To me, a method for solving an, solving equations would be an algorithm. And this is the sort of question mathematicians have um, worried about for centuries, right? Going back to the ancient Greeks. Well, why, why just the ancient Greeks? I mean, um, in ancient India as well. The idea of solving... Um, Finding methods for, say, solving a quadratic equation, right? Go, people have been looking for this. Solving systems of equations. There, there, there are certain methods which are algorithmic. Uh, and there are certain cases where we don't know any, you know, algorithmic methods for, you know, solving systems of equations. But there is an interesting parallel. I mean, this is a, maybe Please. not directly addressing your question. Please. So... I talk about the ancient Greeks. So Diophantus had a treatise on equations. Mm -hmm. And now mathematicians have generalized it and they, they call them Diophantine equations, a certain class of equations. Sure. There's a very interesting 20th century result. I mean, I mean, at the beginning of the 20th century, when Hilbert was laying out... In 1900. The, the, the famous pro program, mathematical program. One of his problems was, is there an algorithmic way of solving Diophantine equations? Mm -hmm. That is, given a Diophantine equation, finding whether it has a solution or finding a particular solution by some algorithmic procedure. Mm -hmm. The question was finally settled in about 1970, and it was proved that there is no algorithmic way. And this essentially builds on the work of Turing, who shows how you can show that certain things are not algorithmically solvable. And the beautiful result is that they showed that pretty much anything which is computable can be represented as a Diophantine equation. So any wow. class of numbers, natural numbers, which can be 
decided by some computable procedure or enumerated by some computable procedure can be expressed as the set of solutions of a single equation. Now, this doesn't mean that the equation is the algorithm because the equation doesn't tell you how to find those solutions. Yeah. But it says that anything that is algorithmically computable can be represented as an equation in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And are there, are there the... Are there the opposite cases as well? Situations which are, I'm going back to the previous mm. uh, uh, discussion we were having. Are there situations where things are believed to be NP hard or NP, but. Yeah. So, so uh, again. Uh, believed okay. to be hard, but they're not. Right. Well, well so there, there are. Um, so P and NP are two classes of problems, and everything in P is in NP. NP is a larger class. Correct. Whether everything in NP is in P is open. We don't know. Correct. That's the famous P versus NP question. Yes. And within those NP ones, we have certain ones which we call NP complete, which are or NP hard, which the, the beauty is they've been shown to be equivalent in the sense that if you could find an efficient way of solving one of them, you can translate it into an efficient solution for any of them. Mm-hmm. And this means that conversely, you know, if anything there is, which doesn't have an efficient solution, then one of these NP-complete one does Is there a way in which all hard problems are similar? Well, with, um, within this realm of NP, that this is true. But again, this is a very restricted it, realm. Yeah, of course. We're not talking of the real-world hard problems. Not just real-world. Even within this notion of, you know, this abstract notion of the computable problems, there are things which are not in NP at all. Yes. Mm-hmm. The, which we, for which we know there are no efficient solutions that are algorithmically solvable, but which definitely require, let's say, exponential time or something like that. Mm-hmm. 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 It's just, it, this PNP is where the boundary lie is between what is efficient and what is inefficient, and what is either side of this boundary is what we're uh, focused on. There are things which are far away from the boundary, which we know are not efficiently solvable or which are very easy, and and so on. So are you and your colleagues optimistic about a solution to the PNP problem? I know I, it's the holy grail. In it is ways. the holy grail. Do, I, I don't see any... I mean, I think it requires some uh, entirely new mathematical methods. I don't see any on the horizon at the moment, which I think, well, if we pursue this line, it'll lead to a solution. Yeah, in fact, this is where I'd like to put a comment. See, again, what we are looking at is discretization versus continuity. Mm-hmm. Issue is, are we in position to discretize the problem sets, computable problem sets? I'm not talking about all problem sets, even within the class NP. Or is it there is a classes of problem which continuously keeps on harder than others in a continuous fashion? Okay. Now P is a non-set, right? NPC is the set which we are talking talking about. NP hard is actually a uh, umbrella over NPC problems. NPC problems are what we call reliability or recognition problems. Sure. NPC are NP hard problem mostly are optimization problems. So what happens is this, that either P is equal to NP and every the whole world collapses. Uh, people have been working on it and you are much more aware of what is happening than me, but there doesn't seem to be anything forthcoming or foreseeable in terms of saying so. Where might the solution lie? Uh, when you say totally different, are there clues? Do you know? No, so so let me put it this way. To prove that P equals NP, you would have to come up with a very clever algorithm for some optimization problem like the knapsack problem we talked about. Sure. I think that's rather unlikely because I think people are very good at coming up with clever algorithms. People have come up with lots of clever algorithms for lots of things. If there was one, it's quite possible we would have found it. I mean, this is... <laughs> Quote, unquote. Sure. But to, to prove that P is different from NP is an impossibility result. Show that no efficient algorithm is possible for one of that these. The... That's what we call a lower bound result. And we don't really know how to go about doing that. So I think that's the direction in which the solution lies, and that's the direction in which we don't have no idea how to proceed. In fact, I will mention that when we talk about even this NPC or NP hard problems... There seems to be classes in them. For example, NAPSEC can be solved by what are called pseudo-polynomial time algorithms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, pseudo-polynomial time algorithms, in some sense, is better than uh, exponential time algorithm. Okay? Right. It's data-dependent. 
Sure. But it says that it's polynomial with respect to the data size. Sure. There seems to be a class as a problem which for which we do not have even pseudo polynomial algorithms. Sure. Okay. Sure. Uh, both are in the same NP hard class. So there is some kind of hierarchy also where it seems to be that complexity of algorithm may grow at a certain pace. No. The pseudo polynomial algorithms are there. There may be another class which may be using other than the data size parameters in some fashion and may be able to give polynomial time uh, solution within that particular framework and so on and so forth. And that's why I'm saying that maybe there's a continuity of mm -hmm. some kind mm -hmm. and there is a, a set of algorithms which whose uh, time complexity or space complexity, whatever we are talking about, grows in a continuous fashion. And uh, most difficult problems are possibly those for in, which are exponential time or whatever it is. But very rightly, I, this, you know... What's uh, the future? Why don't we spend uh, the last five minutes talking about that? What's the future? Will algorithms be in a good place 500 years out? Is it a fundamental necessity to the way you do math, to so, the way you... So, I, I, let, let, let me put it this way. Ashok earlier on spoke about... Um, starting from real-world problems and formulating them abstractly as mathematical problems mm -hmm. in order to be able to solve them. What you solve is a mathematical abstraction. It may or may not solve the real-world problem, right? That depends upon the quality of your modeling, etc. I think that is a process which is not new. People have been doing this for centuries, if not millennia, right? right. Formulating, looking at a problem formulating something mathematically and solving that sure. is something people have been doing. What has happened, I think, over the past century is partly because we have built machines that can do this, mm -hmm. we've become much more reflective about the process itself. Mm -hmm. We look at algorithms and we're turning them themselves into an object of study mm -hmm. rather than just using them unconsciously as a, while, while, while studying other things. So mm -hmm. they have become an object of study. And I think... Um, I think that's a shift that has happened now, and I don't see this being reversed. I, th I, I think they are going to be an important object of study. And I think, so, so I think one should make a distinction. So algorithms can then be physically embodied by either a person doing a calculation or a, or a computer or something like this. But the algorithm itself is also an abstraction. It exists in the abstract realm, different from its physical embodiment. Mm -hmm. And this is the, and are this, they are they dependent and, and, on each and, and, other? And this gap is one. Yes, I, I would say again the gap. Importantly, is one we've talked about before. It's discretization. Physical processes are, are continuous processes. That's the nature of physical reality. Mm -hmm. But it's something to do with the way we understand physical reality. That in order to solve problems, partly it's because to quantify things, we need to measure them, and measurement discretizes uh, the world for us. Sure. Sure. And um, so we formulate problems abstractly. In that process, we necessarily discretize them. The algorithms are formulated working on these discrete objects, and then they get implemented in some computational device, which is, again, a physical process. As you said, you know, the, the sure. transitions between zero and one in a transistor take... Takes finite time. Takes finite time. Yeah. But abstractly, the algorithm is a discrete process. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. This has proved to be an immensely powerful tool because I think this is the way we understand the world. We understand it by discretizing, right? And all the study of algorithms is revealing is it's a self-reflective, partly, process on looking at what it is we do when we discretize and then solve problems in this discrete realm. So, yes, I do think this is... It's here to stay. It's here to stay, yes. But how can we be cocksure that the real world is continuous? Oh, now that's a. That, that, I think you know what I, mean. I, I think that's a very good question, and I don't. <laughs> but I think it's a it's a rather different question from from yes. the future of algorithms, <laughs> yes. and I think that's uh, probably one for another <laughs> yes, yes. hour long episode. In fact, there can be a whole lot of debate on that, you know, and maybe you you have to ask some physicist for it. Okay, is the process of thinking algorithmic? No, I'm not sure. I have the the answer. I mean, I think we alluded to this early on when I said, you know. What does it mean to say the human mind is a computer? And, you know, I gave a sort of facetious, trivial answer that it's not because it doesn't uh, look like a computer. Um, I think you're asking a similar question, yes. right? Is what the human mind does algorithmic? The brain. 
what, what, what the human brain is it what it does is it algorithmic and um, I as with the other question you know I think to give, to give a satisfactory answer we need to say what it means to be algorithmic or not which is what we've been exploring over the past uh, over, over the past hour I think so we'll end on the note that algorithms are in a good wicket they're yes. probably here to stay yes. almost certainly here to stay and yeah I think that's a good note to end this on and thanks to both of you for making it and we look forward to having you soon again thank you thank, thank you. you thank you